My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 12. Hello, folks. Welcome to this edition, this platinum edition of My Car Guru. It's platinum because platinum is a precious thing, a precious metal. And this show is going to be precious if you like cars. Now, if you don't like cars, I mean, if car is if a car is an appliance to you, like a refrigerator or a washing machine, it's just a, something to get you from point A to point B, then you need to just walk away right now. I'll give you just a second. Okay, are they gone? All right, let's talk cars. But first, I want to talk about the best-selling cars of last year. Will any of these become classics? Like, will they appear on the lawn of Pebble Beach or Amelia Island 20, 30, 40 years from now? I don't know. You know, I'm just wondering if we're going to have any gasoline to put in them. I think we will, though. I think all this electric car stuff is just going to blow over. I hope it does. I was looking at one of the, the most best-selling vehicles of 2022. One of them happens to be an electric car. The number one best-selling vehicle is the Ford F-Series. That's no surprise. Will it be a classic? I don't know. I think that uh, I don't really see that as a collectible car because there's just so many of them built. Uh, just the F-150 alone was 653,000 of them last year. Chevy Silverado was second, and then the Ram pickup. I just don't see it. Maybe a special edition like a Raptor? I think uh, the Raptor edition of the F-150 could be. Uh, number four car, Toyota RAV4? Absolutely not. Toyota Camry? Nah. Uh, GMC Sierra? No. Honda CRV? No. Toyota Tacoma? Tacoma? Maybe because they're so popular with the youngsters, uh, maybe a lifted a, a TRD version, you know, off-road, something like that might be. Number nine best-selling car was the Tesla Model Y. No. Jeep Grand Cherokee? Probably not. Highlander, uh, Toyota Highlander? Nope. Toyota Corolla, Chevy Equinox, Ford Explorer? No, no, no. Tesla Model 3? No. Uh, Jeep Wrangler? Probably. You know, it's just one of those, it's a classic, you know, and, and it's going to be a classic forever. I think that Ford Bronco will be as well, but it wasn't one of the top sellers. Hyundai Tucson, are you kidding? Uh, Subaru Crosstrek, no. Honda Accord, no. Mazda CX-5, Nissan Altima, no, no. And uh, Ford Escape, no. Honda Civic, no. Okay, so that's all of the best-selling vehicles. Very few have the potential to be classics like like the one I'm or the ones I'm getting ready to reveal to you, but I'll do that right after this break. I'm kind of excited about something right now. I have the opportunity to buy a Ford Model A. Now I have never had that much interest in Model Ts, Model As, and you know just the early cars of the you know the teens and the twenties. I like cars from the thirties, but I can't afford any of them you know, like Packards and Lincolns. And I'm, I think the designs of the, the cars that were built in the 30s, like Cords and Auburns and uh, Duesenbergs, those things are just a feast for the eyes. But the Model A, Model T just really didn't do that much for me. But I have an opportunity to buy a special Model A that's been restored to a very high level. And, you know, I've got Mustangs and, and Broncos and 
a few other things. And But I just really don't have anything like that. But I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I think it'd look good in my showroom. So I, I may do that. But when you think about iconic cars and, and cars that have meant the most to society and really were groundbreaking vehicles, you got to include the, the Model T. It came out in 1908. And, you know, it was, it was one of those vehicles. Henry Ford was able to develop the moving assembly line and was able to push down cost enough to where he could, uh, I guess the average family could afford one. And then he, he did a, 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 something that was unheard of at that time and provided all of his workers at the Ford plant a minimum wage of $5 a day. You know why he did that? It doesn't sound like much now, but it was a lot back then. It enabled his employees to buy the Model T. And so he created an instant uh, market for his vehicles by increasing the wages of his employees. And then that, that kind of led to the increasing of wages across the spectrum for a, a lot of people that worked in Motor City. And so uh, that was a smart move. But the Model A and Model T are definitely iconic vehicles. Uh, I think before it was over, the Model T sold 15 million units. Uh, it was pretty much unchanged for 19 years until Edsel was able to convince his dad, say, hey, Dad, we need to get off this black thing. You know, everything doesn't have to be black. Let's start painting them pretty colors because Chevrolet at that time was kicking their hiney. So uh, he relented, and they came out with the Model A. Uh, another very iconic. You know, I never really was that fired up about Volkswagen Beetles. My wife had one in high school. Her and her sister used to drive it to school. And I just, you know, the sound of them, the lack of power, that wasn't my thing. But I fell in love with Beatles after I went to a couple Volkswagen uh, shows. I went to one in Sevierville, Tennessee, or Pigeon Forge, really, and uh, started falling in love. And I ended up buying a 1966 bus, and then I bought a 1957 Beetle and just really enjoyed driving them and kind of fell in love with it. And so, you know, you can't ignore the fact that the Beetle is one of the most iconic designs of all time. And the values of those things have just gone crazy. I paid $12,500 for the 57 Beetle. I drove it for, I guess we had it about eight years. Finally asked my wife for permission to sell it. She said, okay. And so I put it on uh, Bring a Trailer, which is my favorite uh, auction website. And it brought $32,000. you believe that? That's pretty good appreciation. My Volkswagen bus that I had, I paid $40,000 for it and sold it for $58,000. Now, I did spend some money on it. I had to repaint some parts of it. But I'll tell you, that's, um, that's kind of the trend right now. Now, what kind of Beetle do you want to buy? You don't want to buy anything later than like a 1972 model. Don't expect any appreciation uh, on any of the like Super Beetles. Uh, they just don't appreciate in value like the, like the ones from the 50s and 60s. So, But anyway, it is definitely an iconic vehicle. One that really sprang from the Beetle concept was the, the, another iconic vehicle, and that's the Porsche 911. You know, that is absolutely my favorite body style for a car. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are either like Ferrari people or they're BMW people or they're Porsche people. And I'm a Porsche people. Even though I am a Ford dealer 
and a Nissan dealer and was a Chevrolet dealer and several other dealers, Mazda, Mitsubishi. I've had a bunch of them. Um, I've just, I love cars and I just love this body style. You know, it's a rear engine car like the Volkswagen. Most of the ones that uh, modern, well, all of the modern 911s are a uh, flat six cylinder. They still use that boxer style engine that uh, has made them famous. But yeah, it's just one of those body styles and the appreciation is ridiculous. I paid and I bought it, let's see, when was it? 1986 911 Carrera. I paid 25000 for it in 2008. Uh, if I had that car today, it would be worth around 100000 I wish my 401k had done that. It just didn't. Oh, well. You know, the uh, Mercedes-Benz, I love them. Not anymore, as far as new ones. They do zero for me. There's way too much technology. Well, there's way too much technology and everything. I like crank windows. You know, no power steering no air conditioning, you know, things that you have to actually drive, not, you know, the idea of being able to push a button and take my hands off the steering wheel, that has no appeal to me. It may to you, but I like to rough it just a little bit. You know, roughing it uh, is what you did if you drove the Mercedes-Benz 300 SL. This is what they called the Gullwing car. So the doors didn't open like traditional car doors, or they opened up like a flying bird. I see these at uh, the car shows now. And, uh, you know, it's a car sold new for about, it was an expensive car back in the 50s, around $6,000. That was big money back then. Um, today, you're looking at one and a half to $2 million for one that's completely restored. I know, isn't that crazy? Another classic car was built by a company that, well, you know, he used to manufacture tractors. And, uh, he he lived in Italy, and he wanted to buy a Ferrari. And so he went to Enzo Ferrari and said, hey, build me a Ferrari. Well, he built him one, and he didn't like it. He thought that he could do a lot better himself, so he decided to not just make tractors, but also to make cars. Now, his last name happened to be Lamborghini. Isn't that interesting? You ever heard of a Lamborghini? Well, a Lamborghini Countach was one of the first cars that Really struck it with the public. You know, Lamborghini was just pr pretty much a European phenomenon until they came out with this car. All the rappers and famous people had to have a Countach. It came out in 1974, had a big V12 engine, and they're starting to really go up in value as well. Uh, they're touching a million dollars. They have scissor-type doors. Instead of swinging out like the Gullwing doors, they just kind of open up. So you have to be really careful when you're getting out of that. Unlike w what I was... When I popped out of a 19, let's see, what was it? No, it was 19. It was 2006. We had a Ford GT. Of course, I was a new Ford dealer, and I definitely wanted one of these cars. It's just like the GT40s that, that won at Le Mans. Did you see the movie uh, Ford versus Ferrari? Well, that was the car that they won Le Mans in. So Ford decided to recreate that car. They came out with it in 2004, I believe. So they had 2004, 5, and 6. Well, I got one and had it for a short bit, period of time, but one day I, I drove it to the Chevy store and I was jumping out of it and I forgot about the door hanging down like it did. It had like gullwing doors as well. Oh, I mean, I hit my head so hard I saw stars. Had a nice lump too on my head. I was just glad I looked around once I regained consciousness. I looked around. Gosh, I hope nobody saw that. 
But I, I wish I still had that car. We, we had $130,000 in it, which I thought was crazy when the average, you know, like a Mustang you could buy for $35,000. To have 130000 in a two-seat car, it's kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. So we ended up selling the car. If I still had the car today, it's worth $500,000. Another bad move on my part. But, you know, don't you wish you could predict stuff like that? I mean, just think of all the good stock market moves we could make if we just went back in time a little bit. You know, I do think about so many other classic cars. I'll run down a list of of what I think are some of the most classic American cars. How about the 55 through 57 Chevy? I mean, it is a mainstay car for car shows still in this market. I love the, the tail fins on the 57 Chevy. Such a groundbreaking car, though, especially with the the pushrod V8 engine that was developed by Ed Cole that powered those cars. It is still, the, the Chevy small block engine has probably been used in more hot rods and more body styles than any other car. It, I guess the only car that has actually um, had an engine that sold uh, in greater numbers than the small block Chevy is probably the Volkswagen, the flat four-cylinder engine. But I'd rather have the small block Chevy V8. Unfortunately, a lot of people who buy, uh, who restore Fords as hot rods, they don't put Ford engines in them. They put Chevy engines in them because they are cheaper to rebuild and and just they're all over the place. They're just easy to get parts for. So anyway, and they they produce a lot of power for uh, burning rubber, and that's what they care about. 56 T-Bird with the portholes. Just love that body style. You know, it was developed, uh, I guess, as a response to the Corvette. Um, they were late to the game. I think it came out in 55 or 56. Uh, Chevrolet came out with the Corvette in 50. Well, they built some 53 models, but the 54 was really the first year. And, you know, the, the Corvette had a little inline six-cylinder. They call it the Blue Flame 6, and it really wasn't that successful. They even thought about terminating the vehicle in uh, 55 when Ford was getting ready to come out with a Thunderbird because it just wasn't selling. Then they put a V8 in it. Then it sold. So they figured it out. You know, the Corvette's in its eighth generation, and the new C8 Corvette, I had one of those for a while. Um, it is a, an amazing car. It's just, I can't believe that Chevrolet builds something that good. It is an amazing car. You know, when um, Chevrolet, well, Chevrolet responded to Ford. Uh, Ford came out with a Mustang. You don't get much more iconic American than a Ford Mustang, do you? Came out as a 64-and-a-half model at the New York World's Fair. Lee Iacocca was was instrumental in developing that car. And then not too long after, the, the Camaro, the Chevrolet Camaro came out in 1967. You know, Ford just saw something. Iacocca saw something. They saw a niche in the market for a personal-sized two-door car that, you know, and they originally targeted that car at females. They thought that they would be the number one buyer of that car, but then they came out with the fastback and the convertible, and all of a sudden the males in this country kind of fell in love with it. And then Carroll Shelby got his hands on one and turned it into a GT350 and started winning races left and right. And so, um, you know, with that success, that kind of led to the success at Le Mans with the Ford GT. So in 1966, Ford won first, second, and third at Le Mans. But a lot of it was uh, 
due to Carol Shelby. And I guess if you watched the movie, I guess you got to see a little bit of that. Okay, what else? Oh, the uh, SUV craze. When did that really start, do you think? Well, I think it started in 1966, and that's when the Ford Bronco was first introduced. You know, Chevrolet really didn't have anything like that. I mean, they had a carry-all type. They called it the Suburban. You know, it was out there. But the people, it was used mostly by construction companies and wasn't really used that much as far as the general public. And then in 1968, Chevrolet came out with the uh, Blazer, the uh, K5 Blazer, and, you know, it sold really well. And then Ford needed to respond to that, so they came out with a full-size Bronco. Because in 1977, they stopped building. Well, that was the last year of the original Bronco. In 78, they came out with the full-size Bronco. But that was 10 years after the Blazer came out, so Chevrolet had a lead again. It's funny how they just kind of go back and forth. You know, I can't ignore the, the Japanese cars either. You know, one of the most transformational cars in this uh, in the United States from Japan was in 1970 when the, the uh, Datsun 240Z came out. We just didn't have anything like that. I mean, we did have the Camaro, and we had the Mustang, and the Firebird was out in the Mercury Cougar. Remember those? And uh, Chrysler er, and the AMC Matador, Chrysler came out with the Challenger and a few other vehicles. But still, there was nothing that was small and you know, something that was built by Japan. They had built some sports cars over in Japan, but they didn't import them here. And then they came with the 240Z, and that thing sold like crazy. It reminded people of a uh, uh, Jaguar, an E-type Jaguar, with that really long hood and really short rear end and a hatchback. And uh, then not too long after that, I think it was 1977, well, it was a pretty long time after it. Uh, Mazda came out with a competitor. They were really the first one to come out with a competitor for the 240Z uh, with the RX-7. And, you know, and they revolutionized the engine by coming out with the, uh, well, putting to first practical use the rotary engine. That engine was first developed by a guy named Wankel. That was his name. And he worked for a company called NSU, which was a German company, I believe. They developed the rotary engine, but just couldn't make it work. And Mazda got a hold of it and said, we can make it work. And so they did. And the, the RX-7 was a wonderful vehicle. We sold the heck out of those as a Mazda dealer. You know, I must mention also in the personal coupe market, the Toyota Silicas. Do you remember those? Back in the, the late 70s, that was a really cool car. And it was kind of like a, a cheap Camaro or a cheap Mustang. And uh, But they appealed to the folks who wanted to buy an import car, and really imports were starting to really hurt the domestics back in that time period. And so the Silica sold really well. I remember I was at the University of Tennessee from 74 to 78, and, man, it just seemed like every girl had a Silica, and every guy had a Camaro, and it was... Uh, uh, just a very popular car with the, the females. You know, and I do have to mention, I, I, I really don't want to, but I have to. One of the vehicles that really changed where we are and, and really still impacts us today are the minivans that came out from Chrysler. They, Even though there was a Volkswagen minivan um, and there were some other brands, nothing had really sold. This was a front-wheel drive minivan that would seat up to, up to eight people. Uh, Lee Iacocca took the idea 
from, I don't know, he stole it from somebody. I don't remember, but it was a very, very great seller. You know, the, the Chrysler Town and Country, the Plymouth Voyager, and the Dodge, what was the Dodge? Caravan, Dodge Caravan. They really changed the market. You probably owned one at one point in time. You know, that market has pretty much gone away, even though Chrysler still makes one. I think it's called the Pacifica. Um, really, Honda and Toyota have have taken over that market. They're the only game in town, basically. Uh, you look at the Honda Odyssey, which is probably the, the big dog in the market, and then the Toyota Sienna. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how these trends come and go. And uh, one of the big trends that, that came and went, I'll talk about here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. You know, one of the big segments that, that really started growing in about 1972-73, and it died in the early 2000s, and that was the full-size conversion van market. You know, they used to have low tops and high tops. And uh, I, we used to stock anywhere from 25 to 30 conversion vans. And that whole market has completely gone away. The SUV killed it. And probably it didn't help that when they rolled over and they had a high top, they'd cut the whole metal top out of it and put a fiber, fiberglass top. They didn't really do too well in, the, uh, in a major collision. But I don't think that was it. I, I think primarily it was just uh, the market changes. It goes through cycles. Um, you know, I look at the Dodge Dakota. You know, that was the first so-called mid-sized truck. We all, all we had back in the old days, in the 70s, we had the Chevy uh, Love Truck, which was built by Isuzu. Uh, Dodge had a Ram back then, but it was built by Mitsubishi. And Ford sold a little truck called the Ford Courier, and it was built by Mazda. But then Dodge comes along and creates this whole new segment called the mid-sized truck. And, and they called it the Dodge Dakota, and it sold very well. And so the manufacturers said, well, you know, we need to turn our other trucks into midsize trucks as well. So Chevrolet, they came out with the, the S10 and then, then the uh, Colorado, and they just kept getting bigger and bigger. And they're with us today. The actual, the midsize trucks of today are bigger, longer, taller, wider than the truck, than the full-size trucks we sold in the early 70s. So that just shows you how things tend to grow but I certainly do give the Chrysler Corporation credit for being innovators. I mean, when when Dodge made these ugly square trucks that were just not very appealing at all, rattle traps really, and and they um, you know they had good engines. That's always been my beef with Chrysler products. They always had good engines, but the bodies were terrible. But when they redid the the Ram truck, and I think it was in like '94, and put the they made them look kind of like a an 18-wheeler type of truck, a conventional cab truck. Those things, they took over the world there for a while. Now, they didn't outsell Ford, and they didn't outsell Chevrolet, but they really came on strong. And now, you know, just two years ago, Ram outsold uh, the Chevrolet Silverado. Well, Chevrolet, they didn't sit too good with them, so they've made some significant changes since then. But I hope you've enjoyed this little trip through the, some of the most iconic vehicles of uh, of, the, of my last few several decades that I've been in the car business. Uh, it really has changed, and this is an exciting time, and I think we're going to see a lot of new innovative things happening. The technology gets a little cumbersome at times, and boy, when you deliver a new car to somebody, it takes like an hour just to sit there and go through it all with them. 
But I'll be here for you. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to call 423-552-2020 or send me a text or an email to Lenny Lawson 2020 at gmail.com. And I'll see you next time.